0: Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Habib, a weekly podcast featuring my conversations with countercultural figures and exploring complex philosophical, spiritual, and political ideas. It's a show about imagining a better world and asking the urgent question of what it means to be human today. And I'll be asking that question and exploring and imagining with some of the biggest, most rebellious thinkers and artists and occultists of our time. On this episode, I'll be speaking with fellow podcaster, author, martial artist, and just all-around badass, Daniela Bolelli. <laughs> Daniela is the host of the amazing History on Fire podcast, where he explores historical events and people with his, I would say, typical of him, but atypical of everybody else, uh, sort of rebellious angle of looking at the past. Danielle and I met a long time ago when we were both on the Duncan Trussell Family Hour together. I was just sort of thrown into the room with this brilliant Italian guy who had a you know thick accent and a lot of amazing thoughts about things. Since then, he's become an extremely popular podcaster with History on Fire, and also his other podcast, The Drunken Taoist. He has a great book out, he actually has several books out, but there's a really great one called uh, Create Your Own Religion. Danielle and I talk about what history is even. Um, we talk about the time of podcasting where he and I and Duncan Trussell were meeting and Joe Rogan was this sort of uh, emerging figure um, bringing podcasts to the world and how that affected our lives and why some of us went kind of separate ways almost uh, in a way. Uh, we talk about also just compassion and religion and the seriousness of conversations that we need right now, today, but not taking them too seriously. Anyway, it's a great episode. This is the part of other podcasts where someone talks about why you should sign up for Squarespace or Audible or whatever. They're great. They're fine. I think it's awesome that people are getting money from them. I get the money for this show on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. That is what funds this show, listeners. So when you sign up on Patreon, you pay a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, and it goes in every month directly to the show. And you get cool stuff in return, like uh, instant access to the full video version of every other episode of the show. Also, you get uh, at different levels, to participate in the Against Every Woman Salon where you meet with me and other patrons and we talk about ideas that are curated by me. So for instance, uh, the first one we did on Rudolf Steiner's occult philosophy or sort of occult approach to the world of anthroposophy, this month we're going to be talking about psychoanalysis, um, not just like therapy, but like Freudian and Lacanian psychoanalysis and Wilhelm Reichian psychoanalysis and why we need that as a political project right now. So, um, you get all kinds of cool stuff, but really the best part I think (laughs) from my standpoint is that you get to participate in this mission that I talked about at the start of the show of imagining a better world and, uh, inspiring, deep conversations that are nevertheless engaging and fun about uh, profound ideas, important ideas, and asking important questions in our lives. So please go to patreon.com forward slash Conor and pledge now, or if you just want to listen to the episode and you want me to uh, shut the hell up about it, I'm about to just put a little... Uh, you know, thought in your head that when the episode is over, a little blue light will go on in your mind and it'll say, "Hey, I should be paying uh, for the show because I like it. I should be supporting it with money because I like it, and a lot of work goes into it." But no matter what, I just want to say thank you for listening. Um, I'm so excited to share this episode with you, and I'm excited that you're here with me to hear it. So here we go, Daniella Bellelli. Hey, it's Against Everyone with Connor Habib. I am Connor Habib, and my good old friend, Daniela Bolelli, is here. What's going on, man? How you doing, man? (laughs) I just realized that uh, we have never had a non-public discussion.
1: That's right. Not like at length. Right? Yeah. We chat on Duncan's podcast, on my podcast, now on yours. Yes, Uh, yes. (laughs) This is... uh, it's a, it's, it's a podcast conversation ongoing where together we're like collective exhibitionists. Right. We
0: can't do it privately. No, we started talking earlier and you're like, wait, let me turn on the camera. <laughs> this is a good topic. Let's, let's wait. Well, um, I mean, I, I've been thinking about a lot, so now, you know, you're doing your podcast history on fire and I mean, you have been doing trunk and douse for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, but When we met, we met via Duncan Trussell's podcast, right? And so I was thinking about that sort of era of my life, which was around, I think, 2012, maybe. Sunday, right. And, um... I was asked to be on Duncan's show, which was huge for me because I was such a huge fan of the show. I had no idea who he knew who I was. And I was like, holy shit, yes. I got so excited. Drove down to L.A., did the show the first time myself. Then he asked me back and he was like, yeah, I'm going to have, have Daniela Villelli on. You know, that's my Duncan impression. And um, I didn't really know who you were except that I knew your disinfo book, 50 oh, Things yeah, yeah. You're Not Supposed to Know About Religion. And... Um, <clears throat> That sort of pulled me into the orbit of this weird time in podcasting um, where I was, and I think you were too, appearing mm-hmm. on a lot of podcasts. You had your own at yep. the time too, but um, it was like Duncan uh, Trussell, Joe Rogan, and Chris Ryan started his sort of after, and there was this sort of group of people, yep. and it was a really sort of weird, special time, I mm-hmm. would say, um, for that kind of media and the feeling
1: of it, right? Absolutely. And that, in a lot of ways, that kind of testifies to really what Rogan has done, because, uh-huh. uh, you know, people either love Joe, hate him, somewhere in between, they're difficult not to have feelings about the guy, because <laughs> in one way or another he has uh, clearly as a pulse of uh, what's going on out there, and in creating what's going on out there. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, all, of, when you think about it, Duncan, Chris Ryan, me, bunch of other people, by mm. the way, that's a barely scratching yeah, the yeah, surface totally. kind of list. Yeah. Um, none of those podcasts would exist That it not been for Rogan. There's just no argument. Then, you yeah. know, there's by the same token, there's also the uh, kind of recently we we're talking about our Joe has gone in a different direction, <laughs> giving a lot of space to. But, you know, it's like. We might for, leave it at that. The different directions. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing is, for. Any which way you slice it, Joe has, has been instrumental hmm. in really building the world of podcasting. I mean, even podcasts that were big already, like Take yeah. a Down, Carolyn, Hardcore History, right? Dan is like one of the gods of podcasting. Still, being on Joe's podcast helped him a lot. Yeah. And his numbers grew even further. So that's... Um, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird dynamic that has happened, and it's. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there has been, and then what you say is that besides Joe himself, there has been that kind of like everybody being on everybody else's podcast. That is like, oh, come to mine. No, oh, okay, I'll jump on yours then. Right, and, right. Uh, it's pretty cool. I, yeah, I mean, I think you make a really good point. It's
0: like so much radiated out from Joe's podcast in those days. I would say. Rather than necessarily creating culture, which is maybe the different way that. Sure. But let's not talk. I've talked about it before on the uh-huh. show, and people know my feelings about it. But I won't drag you into that. But the but the at the time, I think you're right. He had sort of uh, his finger on the pulse, but um, not even the pulse. Like he kind of had a, a like a an ability to. Um, know what was coming down the pike mm-hmm. and, like, bring those kinds of people on. Yep. So the the idea of creating a sort of countercultural or, like, voices from the margins, sort of edgy, dangerous kind of podcast, and that kind of came out of, you remember, the Disinformation mm-hmm. podcast and... Um, And then there was, like, the Paranormal podcast with Jim Harold, And there was also, like, before that, of course, there were radio shows like Coast to Coast and that sort of stuff. They all kind of wove in. But I think for me the thing that was really special was feeling like, oh, wow, there's, like, a group of sort of – Interdisciplinarian weirdos mm-hmm. out there that yep. want to talk about a lot of things and have their interest in a lot of things that aren't brought to the fore in culture. And that really was, especially back then and before then, yeah. a sort of
1: disinformation mm-hmm. kind of conglomerate thing. Absolutely. Right? And I dig it. I mean, that's the beauty of podcasting because, like, look at pretty much any other podcast out there that we would enjoy. If you went, before podcasting existed, if you went to a radio station and went, hey, it is a business plan, We're going to do a podcast talking about whatever we feel like (laughs) for two hours, this it's like, yeah, right. It'll just
0: be like public access television, but no visual. Yeah, it's like,
1: (laughs) there's no way. I mean, even like, or think like my stuff, like the, um, not only Drunken Taoist, which is a show about everything and nothing and everything. So there's no single topic, which by itself, it disqualifies you automatically from any kind of uh, regular standard deal. But like even something like History on Fire, that's a little more square because it's Uh a podcast about history, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty straightforward. Think about, yeah, it's got to be me with my insanely heavy, thick Italian accent, (laughs) talking... What do you mean? You don't have an accent. None whatsoever. (laughs) Talking by myself for two hours at a time about some historical topic, no visual with no guest, just no radio executive... In the universe would say yes that's a good idea we're gonna run with it yeah and so the beauty of podcasting is that it has opened the door to experiments and some that of course miserably failed most of them and then some that actually managed to hit a chord and work with people well I think that um, the role of conversation
0: real conversation has become really elevated (laughs) because of podcasts too Mm -hmm. and that's you know I, I say often like the three things I really like about life are sex, books, and conversations. So I made those things my life. You know, like talking <laughs> exactly, yeah. talking, fucking, and reading or writing. You know, it's like, and so, but the the talking part, you know, I give lectures at, I, and I still do give lectures at universities, but I and organizations. But I feel like um, the the role of bringing conversations that have depth. That's the whole sort of. That's the whole idea of my show. Mm It's like there's so much, you know, it's like those conversations that you want to have with other people and like you're going somewhere deep and then someone makes a joke or someone like changes the topic. And ultimately it was why I started this podcast. I don't know how you feel, but it's like I've been on like, I don't know, hundreds of podcasts at this point now. and. 95% of the time when we're going somewhere that I think is really interesting, they change the subject, you know, or like we just don't go. And that's something that I really wanted to do was like go deep into Uh ideas and concepts with people because it's something that's actually weirdly stigmatized in our culture, I think is deep conversation.
1: And I think that's also the part of podcasting that I've loved tremendously is the people i have met. You know, there's a bunch of people I've. I mean, even like what you were saying, like our entire conversation has been on podcast. You know, it's like there are a bunch of people right. that I've met <laughs> that are part of my yeah. life in one way yeah. or another. When I've never met that, in not being for podcasting. So I dig that. Yeah. Uh, well, there's that sort of like um, anti-social
0: aspect of it too, where like I some people I only like you. Right. I, I only hang out with because like we get to have a sure. real talk or. You know, like also, there's just the thing of meeting. Yeah, like you said, meeting cool people, like people I've always wanted to talk to. Mm -hmm. You know, I had Scott Thompson from The Kids in the Hall on my show, like not too long ago, and he was my icon when I was a kid, you know, and was like, hey, want to be on my podcast? (laughs) And he said, yes, you know, so it's like there's that. That's one of the great reasons
1: to do something like this. Absolutely. That's that's what makes it worth it, right? Yeah. That's what makes it fun. That's what makes it worth it. And I mean, that partially is not that if we weren't having the podcast conversation, oh, then we would have it in person all the time. No, then we wouldn't meet these people, period. Right. So it's kind of like it's it's a win either way. Now, it's uh, it's not transforming. Like, of course, you would be nicer to have a real community. Of course, you would be nicer to have deeper human relationship Uh outside of when you press the record button and all of that. But that's a whole other level of problem, right? Right. Right. That takes it to solving that. It's a different issue. In the meantime, well, that would be a nice goal and it's not easy to pull off, but Mm. this is not bad. That's a good start. Yeah.
0: Well, there's very few people whose small talk doesn't drive me fucking crazy, right? right? So, like, if I can have a deep conversation with someone, you know, it's the same thing with having sex with somebody. Like, if I can enter into relating in this one way without any of the small talk or the niceties, I know I'm good, you know? I think, like, why people don't like talking or, like, like talking before or after sex sometimes, it's like, oh, don't ruin it because this could actually be a way of connecting and conversing right. that we're really like honest and engaged with each other. But out of that, but if you start what you are the, the chances? Yeah. And, uh, hey, did
1: you see the basketball game? It's like, yeah, yeah maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: but also, I mean, I just think like if you, if like it small talk is a real challenge, like. How many people's sort of day-to-day talking about things do you find Mm -hmm. interesting? It has to hit a certain chord, you know? Yeah. But then, like, most people can't, well, can't. Most people don't or choose not to or feel stigmatized against going into deep conversations. So the small talk is
1: all you get from a lot of people. I think sometimes what interests me, um, I think, like, my idea of deep is Uh uh, deep... uh, Like, my goal is to figure out a way to have the conversations I want to have with my grandma, with uh, Uh an eight-year-old, with, you know, people that normally are not going to think as, oh, I'm going to sit down, we're going to have this deep conversation, you know? Right. But to me, it's like, look, like, for example, like, with my daughter, she's nine now, right? And I never talked to her like she was uh, a kid, like, oh, Google go, Gaga, with go, <laughs> this, you know, it's kind of like. That me, you what, reserved for me. <laughs> right, up, so that's up, that just uh, a <laughs> kind uh, special. The, now, to me the thing was, look, you are a human being, you breathe, you feel, you have emotions, you have the same stuff that I do. I just happen to have a little more experience and a bit of a bigger vocabulary, that's it. Yeah. But the concepts, if I don't treat you like a moron, then there's a decent chance that we'd be able to break it down in a way where we can have a, quote-unquote, deep conversation. Now, of course, that's not going to work with everybody. That's a mm-hmm. given, right? There are some people that there are just a wall there, and you are just going to hit that wall, and there's nothing beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, I find it interesting too. Mm. How do we find a way around it? How do we find the way the fact that there are obvious limitations on the fact that my experience, your experience, may be completely different, and it may be kind of hard to relate on certain levels? Right. What's the minimum common denominator that we can relate on? Mm-hmm. Okay, can we stretch? It's kind of like stretchy, right? It's like okay, that's the limit. It's uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, look at that! So we just went. We just further. You <laughs> right, know? Right. It's like. Yeah, It's that kind of idea to me So it's like I'm fascinated With figuring out how to have Conversations that I find meaningful And like you're saying are not just a waste of time In contexts that are Not what I would normally think Of like oh this person has read the exact same Books I've read they like the same thing They think mm-hmm. that I'm gonna have a great Conversation yeah of course that's a given Right but it's like How can I have a conversation that's as satisfying with somebody who, no, maybe hasn't read a book in their life, or maybe, but they are a sweet person, you know? And so, like, how can we find a way? It's a challenge, but I find it as a very interesting challenge.
0: Yeah. Well, I love what you're saying, and what it's making me really consider is about the sort of quality of listening that we offer others. Because what I'm thinking, I'm going to take it in a little... uh, uh, I'm the walrus uh, ma- magical mystery tour uh, direction, but like I'm thinking about having a conversation with a plant. Okay, mm-hmm. so like if I sit there, how do I listen to a plant? How do I listen to something that's not speaking to right. me? And <clears throat> so much of that is really just um, the act, you can't ever really achieve it. Uh, on rare occasions you can achieve it but you can make yourself like a negative space for the for the presence of the other to Uh like enter you somehow to show up in you so you can really take in like i don't know if you ever go through this but sometimes i'm talking with people and they're speaking and their words are coming out and i can hear what they're really saying even if it doesn't match the words at all, no. and it's not a, it's not the same thing as projecting onto them like, no. oh, this is their motivation for saying that or that or that. You can actually, it, it's almost like a weird clear audience. You can actually hear what is being said underneath mm-hmm. the sort of
1: tone of their words. You know. There's a great uh, Chuan Tzu quote, let's say, where can I find a man who has forgotten words so that I can have a word with him? <laughs> <laughs> who, who's the, who's uh, the? Chuan Tzu, one of oh, the. Oh, highest, Tzu. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. To me, the thing is like most mm. words for me, and I love words, I write, I podcast, I do these mm. words, are. I use them so much. But words to me are a good excuse to pass energy back and forth. Uh-huh. You know, it's like what we are talking about is an excellent excuse. The yeah. real stuff is happening on another level. You uh-huh. know? And um, I kind of, I really believe that, you know, to me it's like, because I notice. I remember even as a kid, like maybe in high school, I would see people who, uh, Everything checked, like everything. They like the same music. They like read the same books. They do this. this. We should have everything in common, <laughs> right. right? And I'm just like, yeah, there's nothing. You know? yeah.
0: <laughs> like, get out of my house. Yeah. I don't feel anything. <laughs> it's like,
1: and vice versa. There are cases where you really should not have anything in common. Like your whole life experience uh-huh. could not be any more different. Your way of thinking, the way you grew up, your talents, what you're good at, everything. And somehow you click perfectly because there's something else at another level that's not verbal, it's not rational, it's not any of that stuff where you just like, and Uh -uh. it works. And I'm just like, I don't yeah fuck that we can talk about uh, oh you haven't read Nietzsche who cares i mean yeah I'll, I'll learn <laughs> out and talk about it that's fun but it's not unless you're really talking a... to Nietzsche that should right exactly. <laughs> it's not really a priority yeah you know you are a kind person that i can mm. laugh with okay now we're talking
0: you know yeah well okay so two things that you're making me think of one is the the fact that You know, people give a lot of airplay to, oh, you should talk with people that you don't agree with so you can hear new points of view. I'm totally against that. I don't (laughs) don't like disagreement. I hate it. I I don't think it's productive for me. I don't think debate is productive for me. I feel like what is productive for me is resonance. Like, oh, you said this thing that makes me think this. That makes me think this. Mm -hmm. That makes me think this. Let's go there. Because when someone disagrees with me, I'm just like – I've worked really hard to make sure my ideas are mine. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to disagree with the entire history and conditions of my existence to understand the thing? Like that's not going to work. What can we talk about that interest? But sorry, that was a little bit of a digression. Oh, um, but I feel like what you're saying is you may not have things in common, but there's a, the, you can still meet in a quality of listening, which mm-hmm. is different then talk to people you disagree with and get yeah. in debates with them or whatever it's like no can you both enter into this quality of listening with each other and then you can really meet in a way that is unrelated actually to the content of the, the words so that's the first thing and then the second thing is you know there's this wittgenstein quote where he says like there's a whole mythology in our language um like meaning it's hidden in there mm-hmm. like the shapes of the letters, the spaces between them, um, the things that we believe about each word, the things we associate culturally, individually, it's all in there. There's like a whole pantheon of gods in every single word, you know? And so there's so much going on that the word is like the, um, it's like the, uh, glass in your, in your spectacles, right? It's like, it's, it, it's something that you can see through into mm-hmm. the real meaning, but it's not
1: it, but and you need it to get there yep. You know, you do. Yeah, you do. That's why it's yeah. Like, I'm not against it. Right. I love conversation Yeah, but let's be real conversation is a great excuse for something else and I really think it boils down <laughs> yeah, to that's great. energy Yeah, you know? yeah, and I don't want to get too weird about energy, but you know, it's like I
0: agree. Yeah. So one of the ways in which I think we understand or don't understand each other is through history. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking about, you know, something that's great about your show, History on Fire, is you (laughs) you pick these discrete items in history Mm -hmm. that I would never, I would first of all, I would have never like I'm not the kind of nonfiction history person Mm -hmm. that's like, let me read a biography about Theodore Roosevelt, Right. right? I love the Teddy Roosevelt like mm-hmm. um, uh, series that you did, but there are all these sort of like discrete items from history that you pick, and it made me just think: okay, we we really have different conceptions of history based on what our interests are. Mm-hmm. It's it's like um, so that's sort of the first starting point with talking about history for me is like when I have a conversation with somebody who. You know, knows a lot about philosophy or politics or maybe about US presidencies mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm like, yes, but have you heard about this occultist and this occultist? Right. Have you heard about this like sex worker re- rebel? Have you heard about this? Like, cause those are the things I'm interested in. And so my picture and framework of how history functions and the sort of, uh, pulse and lifeblood and circulation of events in the world is totally different than someone who picks, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, Joan of Arc, the blackout blackout murderer, you know, like these sorts of things. So I don't know if you have thoughts on that, like how we kind of construct our picture of history from our interests. Of course. And I think
1: part of it is uh, one of the problems with history sources. Uh But there's uh, clearly a ton written about the big political level, the kings and the queens and the wars and all that crap. There's a ton of material. (laughs) Yeah. When you start digging a little mm. further back into the past, I mean, if it's contemporary stuff or the last centuries, were mostly good, you know, there's a lot of information. But when you go beyond that, when you start going deep into the past, information often starts running thin real fast. Uh-huh. Right. At one point, uh-huh. I did this one episode because I was like, this is such a good story. There was this story early 1800s, so not even that long ago, right? Couple of hundred years, uh, slightly more, China, so very literate culture. And it's this story about this one lady who used to be, she was a prostitute in Canton and then become the head of the biggest pirate confederacy in history. Mm. She has like 60,000 pirates under her command. She beats the English Navy, the Portuguese Navy, the Chinese Navy, finally the Chinese government is like, what do we need to do to make you stop? She's like, full pardon for my men, and we keep all our money. And the (laughs) Chinese government goes, done, here you go. She retires, live happily ever after. It's a crazy, wild story, right? And it's, uh, you would figure there would be sources galore everywhere because, again, it's a literate culture. It's only uh. 200 years ago. And even that, there's... I mean, I had to really stretch in every direction <laughs> to get two hours <laughs> out of it. Cause uh-huh. the, that's an awesome story. There just wasn't written much about it. Yeah. So what I think sometimes is how many stories that are away from the main line of wars and politics, which would usually get the spotlight... How many amazing tales are out there that Mm -hmm. we know nothing about? Or that, you know, there are a bunch of stories that I love. Like when I read them, I'm like, I want to do an episode on it. And Uh then I read and it's like, if I read word by word everything that was written about this person, I spend twelve minutes. That's not yeah, an episode. Like, yeah. You know, it's like it's a cool idea. I don't have enough for a story. You know. Yeah.
0: Well, you'd have to do like you'd have to dedicate <clears throat> right years of your time to unearthing all the sources and doing this stuff. If there are even if are there any. are yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, but you, you bring up a good point, which. It's something that irritates me about history in some ways. Like Mm -hmm. the way it's told is, you said, okay, well, there's a lot in the past, you know, uh, however many years, about politics and war and all that kind of stuff. And in a way, like telling those histories, um, the histories of wars and politics and presidents, even though I enjoy the way you do it it also in some way empowers the the state and the, the political realm in a sure. way that bothers me because it's like there's so many things that we can look at you know um you know like there's that alan moore novel that's just like uh it's like a bunch of different i forget what i forget what it's called but it's just a bunch of different chapters about like one plot of land mm-hmm. you know over, over the years and there's so many ways to tell history that aren't Related to um, it that that don't empower the state or empower wars or empower politicians in that way. And I wish we would
1: do more of that kind of history as well. I think really limitation number one is sources. Yeah. That sometimes they're just not my... I mean, I'm planning right now to do an episode. I probably release it in March. I want to do this episode about this guy because he's my all-time idol, right? EQ Jun is this like Zen monk from the 14-hundreds. I, lo- I love Japan. him, by the way. I read he's Crow awesome, With right? My right? Mouth he's, last
0: last year and it was like he's incredible. A, yeah,
1: He's like the man for yeah. me, right? Yeah, he's Bar cra- none. Yeah. Above everything. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, I know already it's going to be a struggle to get an episode out because there's, uh, I think I can get one, but again, you know, I can get one episode out, probably good quality on this life story. Uh, John of Arc, I'll get four episodes (laughs) and I still have to cut stuff out because there's so much, you know? So I think Mm. that's part of the issue that, you know, is drama and unfortunately drama usually means conflict and war and politics. There's everything you want about them. When you go in stories like Kiku, you know, what does he do? He's a genius of Zen. He loves uh, sex and drinking. Uh-huh. My idol, right? right?
0: <laughs> but what's th- his, what's his like one line, his one cone that's like, get laid, that's wisdom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> Sitting around chanting sutras. That's crap. That's crap. Get <laughs> laid. that's great wisdom. It's <laughs> hilarious. It's yeah. absolutely yeah. hilarious.
0: Um, I'll not, put links to him in the show notes For people who are interested by the way yeah, but yeah Not easy and,
1: yeah. Uh, and I think that's the problem I mean I completely agree right There are 10,000 others Like I don't care about everything being about wars Or about politics Or about being the big figures uh-huh. And I try as much as humanly possible Not to go there mm-hmm. But half, I mean I'm thinking about like Half of the people that I've dedicated uh, That I've done biographies on They're almost Every single one of them has killed somebody. You know? It's like, when I think about people I want to go with, yeah. that's, those are not necessarily always, the, you know, it's <laughs> like it's not a requirement. And I'm like, hey, how many have you killed? Right. And unfortunately, the way we tell stories, they're all crafted around conflict and drama, which usually means stuff like that, unless we have a lot of information about something that's not... Involving violence. I mean even like for example, I did a couple of episodes about Caravaggio. So Uh he's a painter He's crazy. He's a genius of art. He's a wild character And yet even him where does he get the attention because otherwise? I mean even like I remember when Uh I was talking uh, I was talking to Don Carlin, right and I said look uh, one of my most popular podcast was about this guy, an Italian painter. I heard was like, An Italian painter? Really? How's that? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, Well, think of Tupac. A Tupac had painted uh-huh. brush in Italy uh-huh. in the uh-huh. 1600s. Uh-huh. And that was like, Okay, okay, I get it now, you know. But that's the hook, right? Mm. If there was no drama, if he didn't kill a, duel, a dude in a duel, if he wasn't sentenced to death and running from the law there probably wouldn't be a story there. Right. It would be like, hey, he sat around, he did great paintings, he was a cool guy, you know, but nobody would have written much about him. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's it's fascinating
0: too that like even in you doing uh, episodes about uh, Caravaggio, that then when you do that, people are like, well, that's art history. Right. Like the, the things that we privilege with even the label of history yep. are <laughs> political in a way that, yep. you know, I did a series of uh, blog entries, which also double featured on the site reality sandwich called The Sex Radicals, which was all, each one was a little essay about who I consider to be a sexually radical thinker who mm-hmm. brought like some uh, a, a, in, in the West who brought some sort of new yeah. idea, but I never really considered it history. Right. And then like, I looked and I was like, well, actually it it, is. so na- now I'm thinking I need to just do episodes of each of those. Like I did one on this woman, Ida Craddock who like taught like around the time the world's fair and the Comstock laws was teaching people, teaching women how to experience sexual pleasure in their mm-hmm. marriages. Pascal Beverly Randolph, who was this sex magician who was friends with Abraham Lincoln, and like using sex like to end slavery right. like these kinds of like yeah. fascinating people to me and so um but you really consider that history until just now you were like oh i did an episode on Carvajal." i was like oh wait that is history yeah, of course but you know but then there's like the whole secret history there's a great uh two books by this guy mark booth one is um, the secret history of the world as laid down by secret societies, and then there's the sacred history laid mm-hmm. down by the mystics. And these are the currents that run through our culture that actually, because by the very nature of who the people are, remain mm-hmm. hidden. Yep. So I was thinking before I came over, you know, your your interest in Taoism, there's this Taoist wizard alive right now, this guy Wang Li Pang. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. him at all. Oh my gosh. This book's just I waiting for you. Guy. It's called it's called Opening the Dragon Gate, and it is a mind blower. It's a mind He's this guy that was trained by these three Taoist masters when he was a kid until a certain age. I mean, it was just torturous. But mm-hmm. he's still alive now. And his... His whole contribution to the culture that he's in and what he brings to people when he meets them is profound, profound. Reminds me a lot of this other guy, Daskalos, this Cypriot mystic and healer. He encountered people and it's just like changed forever, you mm-hmm. know. And the way that kind of stuff pushes on culture and disseminates and filters through. Like um, think of someone like Aleister Crowley, right? Mm-hmm okay, he's had some influence on culture, but then you don't realize how big it is until you realize that L. Ron Hubbard stole all his ideas. And then that permeated as Scientology into Hollywood, which is broadcast across the entire planet, right? So those kinds of currents are not even really not just considered history, but they're not even like accessible as history in a lot of ways.
1: Most of the time, they aren't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there's not enough.
1: Usually, there's a great article out of it. Yeah. Where you can talk about it in 10 minutes, and then you run out of stuff to say, because there's nothing left. I right. mean, you can really kind of make connections with bigger topics. That's what I did, for example, with the Pirate Queen lady from China. Yeah. Their life story, I would take half hour to tell it, Uh at most, and then I got the rest of the episode to talk about kind of what was going on in China at the time and the social dynamics and the cultural context and all of that. Then I can get it. But if I just go by what we have, it's not much. And Uh unfortunately, that's the same thing in... uh, for most history, for most everyone who's not involved in wars or politics, uh, there are exceptions, of yeah. course, but you know, not that many. Um, yeah.
0: So, so when we say history, we have to understand that it's like I think, in, in general, I mean, you you know this better than I, but and and maybe you can correct me if you think I'm I'm saying something stupid here. But it's like when we say history, we really mean. Something that's not really history. Like what we really mean yeah. is something that, that's like right. a, a selected, <clears throat> yep. you know, and that, I, I like when I talk about history and memory and stuff, I say, you know, the past is a thing we make up as we go. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not this static thing that you can point to. Yes, you can gather as much evidence as you sure. want. But the fact is you selected still. Yep. um very specific things. I had a historian, Stephen Kern, do you know him mm-hmm. on, on the show? He's awesome. Um, there's few episodes back and he, um, wrote a book called the cultural history of time and space, uh, cultural, I think another one, like the cultural history of causation. Okay. And so he looks at currents, like where did we come up with our ideas of time and space? And he sort of dives in and out of all these yeah. different, um, aspects. And so you know, I think that that's one way to do history, too, as opposed to, here's a biography of this person, or here's this event, or here's this... What's a concept that I can try to write mm-hmm. a history of? And I don't know, do you, are you, do you get into that in your own time? I tend time to work? go
1: more in the... Um, I like to get into characters. Ah, uh-huh, you know, I like ah. to get into personal stories. Yeah. And then through those eyes... Deliver a bigger message, you know, but I like kind of the human uh, First person kind of like you're watching a movie the way you feel like oh. you are emotionally invested in this story Will you give an example of that like on your show besides the Caravaggio one? Yeah I mean the, those tend to be like some of the biggest ones i have done are the biographical ones and so I've done uh, crazy horse Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: that's um, great
1: Caravaggio to the Roosevelt Jack Johnson, first uh, black guy to get yeah. the heavyweight championship in boxing. He's hilarious. Um, John of but, Arc.
0: But like, what I'm saying is, can
1: you give an example? Like, Crazy Horse is a great oh, one of how, how that expands to, yeah, out yeah, sure. from
0: character. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, okay. So you take somebody like Jack Johnson, for example. Okay. So that's a discussion about uh, racism as a whole, as uh-huh. a, there's a discussion also on uh, individualism because Johnson wasn't just the guy who's like, poor me, black guy, oppressed by evil white society. That's a given. That's exactly what was happening. Uh-huh. He almost doesn't even address that. His whole life, he addresses it as, I'm not going to dignify it with my attention, despite the fact that he's in his face every single moment of the day. Uh-huh. His whole thing is like, look. Uh, Yeah, white society is bugging the fuck out of me. At the same time, uh, black folks telling me that I can only have sex with black women bug the hell out of Uh me. How about you guys leave me all the hell alone? (laughs) Because I'm a person, I'm an individual, and I'm not going to live my life the way I want. Not to please you, not to please you, not to please anybody. Uh And so there's that. You know, just when you think you understood the story, it's like, oh, it's a story about racism. It's like, eh, partially. It's a story about a lot more. It's a story about an individual trying to figure out a way to carve their path in a context in which everyone wants to put them in their idea of what their place should be, Uh you know? uh uh And so it becomes then a whole thing about, it becomes almost philosophical then. It becomes, uh, and and that's what I dig, you know, to go from super personal anecdotes, that person, what's happening with them, and then start scaling the layers of the other stuff that's behind it.
0: Yeah, well, so it, that's also just such a lesson for individuals in general. It's like your life, everybody's life radiates potentialities for history. It's like, if you think about someone like, you know, let's just take Gandhi, however people may feel about him. I know right. his, his narrative has become a little more complicated lately, but it's like, you know, when someone lives up to, you know, and makes himself worthy of their own life, and not everybody can be Gandhi. I mean, I've, sure. if, especially if you th- accept karma and reincarnation stuff, which I do, but like you you have the ability to become someone who radiates a sense and possibility of history that can change the direction of culture, yep. you know? So rather than like, you know, living our lives in whatever way, understand that our every minute is contributing to the forces of history. Well, speaking of Gandhi,
1: think about this as a mind fact. Um, Henry David Thoreau, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. He writes... <laughs> Among other things, he writes civil disobedience. Uh-huh. He spent one night in jail in protest over the war <laughs> with Mexico. His right. uh, sent came to bail him out, going like, Henry, really? What the fuck are you doing? He's uh-huh. like, I'm protesting against an unjust government not paying taxes. And his sent is like, that's nice. I'll pay the taxes. Please release him has no impact. His yeah. civil disobedience probably gets to be read by 12 people in his life. Ah. You know, It's not exactly a big deal. It's not a big deal 10 years later or 20 years later. Fast forward many decades later, mm. Gandhi reads it, borrows probably... some idea for launching his movement to decolonize mm. India. Forward still, Martin Luther King reads it, borrows mm. a bunch of ideas for the civil rights movement. So you have the ideas of this dude in the woods writing down stuff that don't really have an impact probably on anybody he knows, on anybody even mm. in the wider culture of his time, and not even have an impact for a while. Mm. And suddenly falls into the right hands, and it has a huge impact on history. Because without Same. civil yeah. disobedience, it would be hard to really think of Gandhi or Martin Luther King or the civil rights movement. Yeah. and he's like, "Whoa, how did that happen?" That's- totally.
0: Yeah, it's so it's so fascinating because my, my so my main mentor in life is uh, this was this woman Lynn Margulis who is a you know geo scientist and a, a microbiologist. She came up with this idea with this guy James Lovelock called the Gaia theory that the Earth uh, that is self regulates mm-hmm. like an organism. It's not an organism, but like an organism that are that nucleated cells are symbioses of different kinds of cells that bacteria play a huge role in evolution, Mm -hmm. you know, resisted, resisted, resisted every point, every theory she came up with. And then eventually some of them were accepted. People had to sort of begrudgingly accept that she was correct, but then she died. And right around that time, like occupy this sort of like centerless kind of symbiotic movement started, you know, was hitting its upswell. she, um, And then all these people started talking about the gut biome and how important the bacteria in your body are. Um, People started reconfiguring. They wouldn't admit that it was Gaia, but reconfiguring biogeochemistry, how earth forces and bacterial forces and living stuff interact with each other to regulate certain things. So it's like – what what I say is like when someone dies everything that they are becomes available to Mm -hmm. the world it's like it's somehow you die and the personality is released and available for everybody in a way and you don't have to believe it in the spiritual sense of which I'm saying just to see with your Thoreau example that that
1: becomes so you know and it is uh you never know. You have no, you really, yeah. what you're doing with anything you write, with anything you create is you're throwing a pebble in a lake uh-huh. and you have no idea whether the ripples are just going to die right there or whether they're going to have an impact that you will never even get to see right. because it's so far removed. And uh, sometimes comes and goes in history. I mean, even a guy like Caravaggio, like for a long time, <laughs> not many people knew him. Right. He was kind of big in his day. Then he died. Then he go- went into fair obscurity for a long time. Mm. And it wasn't really until the early 1800s when he peaked into the superstardom, like 300 years after he was dead. Mm-hmm. And so it's bizarre that way. Mm.
0: So one of the other things that's really interesting to me about the way history works ties into your um, work with understanding, writing about, thinking about uh uh, indigenous mm-hmm. communities, populations, nations—sometimes they're called whatever. Um, and uh, let me, so let me describe. Like for me, one of my big awakenings mm-hmm. in my life—I talk about this on uh, on another episode too. But uh, I was really into like critical theory and postmodern philosophy, and so I am still into that. But I was super into it, especially Marxist theory. At a certain point in my life, right after I had finished my undergraduate degree. And I got this book called Marxism and the native Americans. And, um, I was living in Providence, Rhode Island at the time. And I just remember I was at the cafe, like reading it. It's edited by this guy, Ward Churchill, who's a problematic yeah. figure to say the least. Um, <laughs> but it still was very important to me. Right. So I, I, I'm reading it and there's an essay by this guy. It's actually spoken cause he didn't write it, this guy, Russell means mm-hmm. and Russell means is saying, Um, Hey, Thanks, Marxists, for thinking that you're contributing something to Native American culture, but you're just another industrialized, yep. white savior, colonial project, so go fuck yourselves. We don't want your help. It's just more of the same, and you are actively destroying us in the same way that capitalists are. Yep. So, like, get out of our face, I'm right? But am pretty sure I read that same Oh, song. you did. Yeah. Same old song <clears throat> it's called. It's, a, it's incredible. And so I... <laughs> I like read that, and I was like, I had like the book, and I was like, oh, slowly lower the book. Like, my whole world was right. just kind of like blown apart, you know. Um, and it introduced this new thought to me, like, huh, um, I need to investigate uh, indigenous thought, indigenous perspectives, indigenous histories, and there are so many different ones. So I got this other book called *The Way of the Human Being*, which was about. This guy Calvin Martin, who his name is Calvin Luther Martin, which is hilarious, and he he's a white guy, but he tried to. A lot of Native people don't like this book because he is a white dude trying to understand Native perspectives from his vantage point. Mm -hmm. I think it's a beautiful book because it matched my own Mm -hmm. experience. And basically, he's saying, look, there are not just differences in uh, history or or ideas, there's actual differences in consciousness and structures of thought and perception that are linked to all different kinds of forces here that we can't really get, you know? We can't quite understand from this side of things. So when I think about that in relation to history, when I think about the differences in consciousness that are uh, present today not just amongst indigenous people versus white people but uh, or western people but around the world in sort yeah. of different more subtle ways as well. I think to myself how can we ever meet in this sort of room of history and agree on anything? Yeah. Like and come to any sort of like uh idea of what what's true about the past,
1: you yeah. know? That? It's that's why it's so tricky. Yeah. Because really what yeah, you raise the other level because you know one problem is the sources. Right. Okay. Most of history we know nothing. That's why there's so little about women, for example, because most of huh. the stuff was uh, an <laughs> emphasis on uh, you know, guys in power in positions that had to do with politics and warfare, which typically were not women area. Yeah. Um, but not only there's the problem of sources, but then there is even when we do have sources. Right. Uh, How do we break down what actually is the reality? Because of course, any source is through somebody's eyes. Mm -hmm. Every source comes with its bias. It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a dishonest bias like, oh, I'm gonna tweak the evidence to fit my agenda and shove it down your throat. It's more the I'm into certain things. I see certain things. We can Mm. look, You know, it's kind of that uh, observer effect, right? Mm. We can look at the exact same events and different eyewitnesses will tell you completely different things. And it just happened right in front of your eyes. Right, right? yeah. That does not mean that there is no objective reality, but anything that's out there is filtered through the observer. And Mm. so, inevitably, there is an element where that kicks in. And when it comes to history, for sure. You know, and that's why it's... To me, history is... Uh, yeah, partially science. Partially is art, is storytelling, is guesswork, mm-hmm. because you are interpreting, you know. you are. I don't know that any of the guys that I talk about are exactly the way I describe them, right? Mm-hmm. That's my guess. That's my educated <laughs> guess. And in some cases, my hope, because it makes for a cool mm-hmm. story. But do I really know that that's... Of course I don't.
0: Right. Well, and then... So let, let's take it another level. Okay, so there's the... Um, so Owen Barfield is a guy who, uh, he's one of the Inklings, like J.R. Tolkien, Charles Williams, C.S. Lewis, and Barfield was really influenced by this guy, Rudolf Steiner, who's really important to me, comes up on the show all the time, and he brings up this point about dinosaurs mm-hmm. and history. He says, okay, basically, and I encourage the audience listening or watching at home do this, okay, close your eyes and think about that dinosaur world. Um, okay, can you like smell that weird swamp smell? You can see the dinosaurs and their colors. You can see the sort of weird haze and the giant dragonflies and hear the strange sounds of the world. He's like, okay, now I just want to point out a problem to you with that. Um, All the things that you used to apprehend that didn't exist then. Human eyes, human ears, human thought, human whatever. So we can maybe say had these apparatuses existed perhaps they would have related but they didn't exist so we have to actually say that that never happened right and that is, that is the real like mind blower <laughs> about history is like so much of what we imagine actually was not possible like sure. I mean, <laughs> our concepts didn't exist yep. at a certain point so we couldn't have apprehended you know the way things were thought about and then before that our sensory apparatus did not exist so none it just didn't happen. Sure. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and in fact I think you can there can be a lot of mind blown on that level of whoa, how do we know what we know? What is that we actually know? Of course, that can get into its own rabbit hole where that is like, okay, we know nothing. We can't say anything. We're done. It's over. There's nothing left to say. But no, we're still here. We're still playing. So it's like, so you bring it back to, once we acknowledge that, let's bring it back to a manageable level. That'll, be your, next, that'll
0: be your next episode of History on Fire. You'll be like, this, is tr- this episode of History on Fire is brought to you by Squarespace. Okay, uh, we know nothing. Thank yes. you for listening. Bye. Exactly. <laughs> Only yes. the sponsor exactly. remains.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, just like Jon Snow. We know yeah. nothing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that is like... that. That's maybe the thing with history. That's like the um, sort of hidden... From my point of view, the sort of hidden aspect of it is like... Like, really, history is like an engagement with a fantasy that allows us to sort of push everything we don't know to one mm-hmm. side. You know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there is definitely... You're reconstructing the past. You're not telling it as it was, because yeah. who knows what it was? <laughs> you know, you're doing your best to be not make shit up and not be completely mm. going to fantasy realm. But, you know, the reality is that there's a solid basis of science. And that's, I think, is the problem with history as an academic discipline, that because it wants to be a science, and I understand the appeal, mm, you know, mm. I understand the reason for wanting it. The problem is in order to do that, you kill the very stuff that makes history interesting mm. because you start boiling it down only to the absolute certain facts, argue about those facts, get into this nitpicky thing of whether this thing exactly happened the way it was said. Or, uh-huh. And then the general relevance, the story, mm. the beauty, the magic kind of dies along the way because you stop the narrative every quarter of a second to analyze mm. to death mm. whether right. that thing. It's like. Okay, I understand wanting to be objective, that's a nice goal, but understand also that you'll never really get there. You're doing the best you can with the info. Like for example, sometime I'm telling a story and I'm like, look, at this juncture of the story, some people tell that our lead character was in the thick of the action, doing this and this and that. Other people say Mm -hmm. there's no evidence that he was even there. Make what you will of it. You Mm -hmm. know, these are, so I'll present multiple version of a tale and leave it at that. You know, and clearly one is more conducive to a cool story than another, but Mm. I don't know whether that's the true one. So I'm not just gonna pick Uh. that one saying, this is the truth. I don't know if this is the truth. I know that it is where sources disagree. Yeah. I'll tell you both versions, now we move on to the next part. You know? Yeah, there's
0: so much God, this is such like an intense conversation for me because it's sending me in so many different directions. So what, one of the things is, first of all, objectivity itself has a history. Like right. what people considered objective yeah. knowledge has changed over time. Sure. Like the actual concept of objectivity, there's a great book about it called Objectivity from some books that you can all check out if you're interested. But the but but more it's like you know, something that's so great about and and I feel like that you and I find such affinity with is this idea of interdisciplinarity, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've talked before about your sort of distaste for specialization, yep. even though you do a lot of history sure. episodes. And so I think that like for me, that's a big part of the attempt here is like how can I um how can I bring a lot of currents in and try to sort of maybe maybe some of them don't ever fit together maybe some of them are paradoxical but how can i sort of hold these tensions because what i feel i have i was like trying to talk to this guy who's like this intense healer who lives in texas and he like does all this weird light healing of mm-hmm. people and stuff like that it's not weird it's intense um and i um i was like look i I don't know that I can do the stuff that you do something that I know I bring when I talk to spiritual people, cultists, that sort of stuff is I have a coherent worldview and that's actually a very difficult thing to come by where in other words, I'm always interested in questions of ethics and morals mm-hmm. and how they play into things more than even specifics, more than necessarily like um, the specificity sure. of this or that event in history. I can come up with a worldview that allows me to interpret, fit things together, um, come to how I sort of uh, understand people and events in history. So, like, My friend was telling me about how there's this actress, I won't name her because she's rather well known, he's he's friends with her, and she would, like, call him and be like, this simulation, it's all simulations, a computer simulation, start giving, like, bits of evidence, like, the president said this and blah, 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 and then I saw this on a cereal box or whatever the hell it is, you know, and... And he was just like I just don't get it Like she has all these Scraps of proof And in some ways All history is a conspiracy Theory like that Like you take all the Scraps you can And you sort of Build them into Whatever narrative But what's way more Important is like Okay but to this Actress (laughs) It's like What's more important to me here is not whether or not that's true, but who you are in the face of whether or not that's true. Uh It doesn't matter if it's true or not. What kind of work are you doing? So like when Donald Trump was elected president for me, I was just like, okay, I'm still going to do the same work that I'm doing and have the same kinds of concerns. This sort of exterior of the world might get a little shakier or who knows if it would have been, you know, whatever. But like. I know what the path I'm on because I have a coherent worldview that helps me be a moral and ethical person, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's something that the interdisciplinarity gives to us, but also
1: that I wish more people would bring to their consideration of history, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to being too much of a specialist, of course you need to have some degree. To, uh, to know what you're talking about, because mm. otherwise you're just talking out of your ass, and there's none. So you need to have some kind of, uh, you know, dig deep enough that you know your stuff, mm. but then not get stuck there. You know, mm. it's kind of like because otherwise the problem is, like most people who are into things I enjoy, we start talking, and I'm like, okay how long are we going to keep going on the same damn topic? And then I realized that's their whole life, nothing <laughs> else exists. And I'm like, Jesus, uh-huh. I like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but there's a life outside of it, you know? <laughs> right, or, right. you know, history is cool, but there's a life outside, you know? But I'll become the comic book store guy from yeah, The Simpsons. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I like ice cream too, you yeah. know? It's like, yeah. there's that... And I think that's the problem that sometimes we take people fall in love with a subject and they Mm. dedicate their life to the subject as opposed to turning whatever subject you're into into something that can enrich your life. You sacrifice Uh. your life on the altar of this field. And that to me is like, okay, we got the priorities wrong here, you know, it's like, yeah, you do, need, you do need to know your stuff. Yeah, you do need to dig deep enough so that you have a real expertise on a subject. Mm. But at the same time, let's remember that the goal is not to become the ultimate top expert in this and know nothing about anything else in life. It's about taking the best that you can from this field in order to enrich the quality of life as a whole that's ultimately the project. It's like, what the fuck do I care about anything else if it doesn't improve the quality of my life?
0: Well, right. And also, how much can you know about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu if you don't know anything about Brazil, if you don't know anything about movement, if you don't know anything about the sort of people and the culture where it came from? And it's like, you know, yes, I think like maybe I would call that specialization a focal point. Like in my life, you know, sex has really been a focal point for me to sort of understand how other things work and to understand how sex work I try to un- so to understand how sex works I try to understand the world yep. and to understand how everything else works I sort of go through that lens of sex and sort of yep. look at everything that's been changing a little bit but it's much more like a cult focus these days but I think that like the 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 idea for me is like um the the thing you're talking about, that specialization without any concern of sort of filtering the rest of the world in so you can understand the thing you're specialized at, that often leads to fundamentalism in one way or another,
1: right? Yeah, Yeah, because you filter all of experience through this one lens, and it's like look, the world is a lot wider than that, it's like and uh, yeah, I have nothing. I mean, of course, focus, having a focus is great. Yeah. Being blinded by it, that's why it's not a problem to dive, even dive deep. It's a problem to get stuck there yeah. and just yeah. never get out. That's where it's like, you know, it would be nice if I'm glad you read, I'm glad you like going to the library, but maybe after 40 years without seeing the light of the sun, it's okay to step out and <laughs> remember that there's something outside of the library. You know, it's like stuff yeah. like that where I feel like. It's too, and I find it in every single field I'm interested in, I like you sometimes see it with people's social media, right? You look at their social media profile and the one reason why you know them is all that they ever write about. So it's like, oh, wait, so that's not just something we have in common. That's your entire identity. There's no. nothing else outside of that thing. And you're like, holy shit. That cast is in a different light, <laughs> you know, because while it right. was one thing that was fascinating and cool, if that's your entire life, it's kind of sad. You know? Does that often
0: come out of a wound, I feel like sometimes? Like someone sure. has some pain in their life, so they like replace it with, you know, they, they sort of fill the, the wound with sure. what, you
1: know, some obsessive interest, you know? I think people desperately crave an identity uh-huh. because it makes them feel safe in an unsafe yeah. <laughs> world. And whether it's a political identity, whether it is, um the martial arts guy or whether it is the whatever identity, mm-hmm. right? doesn't even matter. It's something that gives you a blueprint to how to live your life. Mm. I'm the guy who's into my little pony. So I will do this and I will do that and I will do the other thing. And that's His secret is the, revealed on this yes, episode. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, I'm the guy who's in... Whatever it is, whether it's a political ideology, a religious ideology, and non-ideologies like some kind of uh, pastime that you're into, that becomes the one thing that gives you a framework to deal with the rest of the world. The problem is it's a prison, you know? That's not a tool, that's a prison, because Mm. you're missing out the fact that the world is way more interesting and complicated that can be seen through that tiny little thing that. But I think the reason why people crave it so much, it's because uh, the world is scary. Um, Mm. It's hard to think on your feet. It's hard to make decisions on your feet. It's hard to go by nose and just figure out situation by situation what the right approach is. It's so much easier to have some kind of hard... uh, In every single situation, a good conservative will say this and this and will behave this way. In every single situation, (laughs) Uh a guy who makes his focus religion will do this and... It's like... uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're that scared to look at... You know, it's kind of like trying to surf rather than feeling the wave and figuring out where you should place your body. It's like, I know that... If I lean thirty degrees to the left, yeah. uh, that's the proper technique for surfing. That is like, yeah, it's a proper technique when the wave is hitting that way. Uh-huh. When it's not, you're gonna fall and it's like that's done. Yeah. But I think is that it really boils down to fear to me.
0: Yeah, and that's why I mean what it becomes a like concretized identity, that's why these kinds of specializations can lead to different kinds of fundamentalisms. Mm-hmm. Even like when you were talking with Graham Hancock on your show, it was like You know, he was saying, okay, well, the scientists that, like, the other scientists that, like, reject what I say, it's because they're so ensconced in their worldview that nothing else can come in. And you commented, yeah, like, fundamentalism is just, like, it's a kind of thing that, you know, you can appear to be in fields that would not have a fundamentalist attitude, but the fundamentalist mind is the same no matter what, you know, uh, discipline it's in. I think that there's an error in thinking that the fundamentalist becomes violent, because their worldview is so complete. So I I had this guy, Todd McGowan, who's a psychoanalytic theorist on my show. And he writes about this in his book, uh, Enjoying What We Don't Have a bit about how fundamentalism is actually an expression of incompleteness, mm-hmm. like it's an anxiety about incompleteness, because it's like, okay, so if I just care about Um, one thing in my life, and I care about it, and I care about it, and I care about it. What I'm experiencing is the absolute loss of other people being in my sphere and caring about the thing I care about. So, the only way to complete myself is to get everyone else on board Mm -hmm. with what I believe in, and to, or, or to kill, kill them all. So then, like, they're, they're all on board with me. So, a fundamentalism is like, is a fundamental incompleteness that you, you sense, but you try to resolve by bringing everyone else into your sphere. Whereas the interdisciplinarity that I'm really interested in, and I think you're really interested in, is like I'm going to bring myself to the rest of the world. I'm going to try to meet the rest of the world rather than make them only understand and be in my yep. in my worldview. So I really think that interdisciplinarity is like a it's some it's a way to combat fundamentalism.
1: It really is, because it forces you to keep an open mind, which by definition is the enemy of all ideological mm. fundamentalisms, whether they are religious or not, is the enemy of identity ultimately. Uh-huh. Because even that idea of building that whole identity on one thing, identity is not. Why do you not have movements of, uh, oh, we are just going to be the cool, open minded people? Because it. Identity is built on a slogan, <laughs> a flag, uh-huh. right? we all wear the same clothes, we have yeah. that you know badge of it needs to be rigid, otherwise it's not an identity, mm. you know, and so the idea of being happily free from identities is just I'm just these happy little monkeys who are gonna explore the universe and play, and I'm gonna pick up tools along the way without trying to depend on any one of them, yeah, and I'll use them as long as they serve me but I'll be ready to cast them aside the second they become uh, I become bound to them where that uh-huh. becomes my crutch to deal with the whole world it's like no it's uh but I think it goes right against a virus of the mind that just as infected throughout history, the majority of human beings, which is, uh, boils down to a lot of, I think, existential fear. Mm. Fear about the fact that we don't know crap about how the universe works. <laughs> Even today, we still, you know, we have no idea, um, you know, is there consciousness before or after that? Is there, uh, is there any meaning in the universe? Is there any, you know, all these things that are like in, people freak out, understandably so, because being a conscious ape is a very difficult job. It's one thing if you are in the moment and that's all you live is instincts, fight or flight, that's, it's a little easier to deal with. Yeah, If you have this degree of consciousness when you can think about the past, the future, meaning this and that, Man, that's trippy, and it's scary, <laughs> and it's unsettling, and it's a lot of things that make us feel, oh, I don't know, it makes <laughs> me feel secure again, you yeah. know, which is why I dictators don't. are popular, which is why cult leaders are popular, yeah. which is like, even today, religious fundamentalism is popular, which shouldn't be in the modern world, but it, of course it is, because it fulfills a function, all of these guys fulfill the function, whether it's... You need the guy who write the book about uh, X rules of life, this is how you're gonna live, Mm -hmm. or you need uh, the cult leader, or you need, uh, it's the same psychological mechanism. You are scared, and you need some daddy figure who takes you in and say, "Don't worry, I'll I'll take care of you, scared little child. Just follow these simple steps, and everything is gonna be okay." Actually, do you, you want to do that after? Let's let's create
0: a call after oh, we get you know? so, Okay, sure. So we let's can do that. Yeah, that'll really up our subscriber. Yes. <laughs> Step one: pay us. Step two: pay us.
1: Then we have to give them something. I so. mean,
0: that's basically what Jordan Peterson does. <laughs> you know, twelve rules like. Just follow these rules and you'll blah blah blah. Yeah. I was really like, and 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 very funny to me that the Jordan Peterson thing is like uh, that that cult. I mean, I don't want to talk about him specifically sure. for too long, but this is very funny to me that his first book, Maps of Meaning, is an acronym for Mom. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> <laughs> like, no shit, dude. Yeah. Like, you have total mommy issues right. and daddy issues. or Well, you have total daddy issues, so you sought to be, like, the daddy to, like, sure. you know, everybody in, in culture. But that is how it works. It's like we're just going to sort of uh, – like, that. that's how it works for those, you know, um, those spiritual or whatever political yeah. whatever leaders is that they tap on, you know, infusing people with a sense of – Enjoyment and identity, you know, and it would actually do well, I think for, it would do well for people that have sort of more, I don't like the word progressive, but progressive political ideas to say like, um... I'm going to actually give you the identity of someone who enjoys their life a little bit sure. more, who would to sort of tap into that more artfully because huh. fa- fascists do it like, yep, and, very well. And, and tyrants, they do it extremely well. Yep. So, how can you do that in a way that's liberatory for people? Because you're right, it's yep. like you can't really win a political project by saying, everybody just be yourselves. You know, libertarians no. are probably the closest. Thing to that, but they're so bumbling in so many other ways. I mean, yep. I, there are a lot of libertarian ideas that are valuable to me, but I just as their sort of political project, um, they fail at you know at at,
1: at that. Well, because even that becomes a dogma. Yeah, it's totally. To totally. me, is like yeah, I can agree that uh, excess of state and bureaucracy is a bad thing. Uh, but the solution that is not necessarily it's that black and white thing it is because bureaucracy and state power can be bad and evil. Then zero bureaucracy and state power (laughs) is the solution to everything. It's a little more complicated (laughs) than that. You know, it's not necessarily, but yeah, I think you make an excellent point that, you know, one can sit back and point and say, Oh, look at how all these people need dictators and want to embrace uh, self help gurus and whatever. It's like, well, yeah, that's the reality, but that doesn't mean <laughs> right. you should make, f- it's like, that's a real need, you know, it's like, to me, it's not a, oh, look at those idiots, let's make fun of them. It's more the, hey, that's a very real need. People do have that issues. People are scared. People yeah. are insecure. Hell, I can relate to a bunch of those things. How can we provide better answers to that need mm-hmm. rather than just leave it in the heads of like, profiting cult leaders who are going to screw over people or fascist dictators or you know that yeah. kind of thing because that's those guys do serve a purpose for these people it it ends up you know whatever they give you that helps you also then they give you a mountain of baggage that's poison mm-hmm. so how can we satisfy that need with all the poison that goes That goes usually with it when, when the answer is left in the hands of people like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's right. It's a little bit of a bind because, like, what when I, so. like one of my most uh, the thing I try to do the most I mentioned this a little bit before is like come up with my own ideas like what do I actually think about Mm -hmm. something what do I actually feel not because somebody else said it but one of the reasons why I have that attitude is because I read Emerson right like so it's like but 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 it's a better version because what Emerson says is like, come up with your own thoughts about something. What someone like Rudolf Steiner, who has a lot in common and may have had a strange back and forth with Emerson, like, is like, is come up with your own thoughts, your own ideas and your own awareness about things. This is not about what we say. So, they're still saying do this. They're mm-hmm. still giving a more unethical prescription, but there's so much more room in it yeah. to become who you are at yeah. a certain point. And wh- whereas, like you're saying, it's like uh, I- instead of the sort of dictatorship thing, which is um, you know really infuse and amplify the fears, yeah. and then replace those fears with a sense of prepackaged identity.
1: Yeah, because otherwise, what we do say no oh, you shouldn't have this need for rigid identities you should be able to be flexible and open minded and this and that and the other is like yeah, that's nice, but that's not where that person is at. So yeah. you telling them, it's like telling an insoniac, you know, you should really sleep, it's good for you. It's like, yeah, motherfucker. I'm oh, you're anxious,
0: at. just calm down. Exactly, yeah. it's like, thank you.
1: That's, uh, right. It's not that I did advice, it's that I don't know how to do it and I can't. Yeah. And so it's like, it's too easy for somebody who's not in that mindset to sit back and point and laugh and go, ha ha, you guys are stupid, it's like, you're not really helping anybody either. It's like, how can you get somebody who is struggling with those issues, if you happen not to be, or you struggle less than they are, let's say, because everybody struggles to some degree with some of these things. Mm. If you struggle a little less than they are, and you're not prone to jump into the arms of some fascist dictators tomorrow, how can you help somebody? in a way where they can take three steps in a healthier direction as opposed to just uh, sitting back and saying, oh, you're stupid for following that stuff. You read the book that tells you the rules for life. You are an idiot. It's like, <laughs>
0: hey, you know, that that's not helpful, right, well, which is why I think I mean not to sort of well, I am going to toot my own horn here, but By all I means. better but it's part of why i you know saying i don't I'm not into disagreement, you know on this show, I almost never disagree with a guest, and part of it is like. I want to show people, like, you can have really deep conversations that don't revolve around debate because that creates such an insecurity, sure. a sense of we're here to dominate each other's yeah. ideas. We're here to crush people. Um, we're here to do this. We're here to do that. It's like, I, I disagree with people who are on the show all the time, I've disagreed with literally everything you've said so far in this episode, Danielle, but no, I, no, I disagree with people who are on the show all the time, but I don't, I don't use that as the uh, compass for where the Conversation sure. goes. I think it's that. What is the th- interesting thing that the person said to me? Mm-hmm. And by that, that gives people space to. If if they see this and they like it, or they listen to it and they like it, that can give people space to say, "I want to have those kinds of conversations with people that aren't about conflict, but are about interest and development of mm-hmm. the individuality of each person involved in the conversation." You yeah,
1: know? absolutely. Yeah,
0: and I also think it's you know again, it's a, a, a sexual thing. Like when. Like there's this idea that when two people have sex and I'd like you told this story about hiring a sex worker on yep. uh, on Unregistered with Thaddeus Russell, who's been on the show too, like you know, it's like there's this idea about sex that's supposed to be completely immersive and obliterate your personalities and have this incredible experience where you merge with another human being. But in fact, most sex is actually, I think, about being alone together with another person like we don't actually as, as much as we try to put ourselves into each other We can't ever blend into mm-hmm. one another. We can't ever so like I'm going to experience the things that give me pleasure I'm gonna experience my thoughts about how do I make this person feel good? How do I interact act with this other person and by virtue of us being together in that task? We are together sure. in, in, in a sort of way. So that's maybe the whole like conversation sex or, or reading a book can have the same effect mm-hmm. sometimes. Like I want to be, I'm going to develop my individuality by realizing that I'm totally alone. I'm totally my own being. I'm totally separate from everybody else, but so is everyone else. So actually we're all in it together, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if there's some, some way to inspire that in people rather mm-hmm.
1: than listen to my project, sure. you know what I mean? And I think sometimes it can be very basic, you know, it's starting with the things that, you know, what are the things that everybody need? Okay, you need physical health, you need mental health. What are some of the basic steps that you can take in that direction? So it's not ideological, it's not telling you you need to believe this or the other about the universe. Is doing this feels good. We agree? It helps you, hey, look at that. It made your life a little better. Let's uh-huh. start with that. Then let's take it one little step further. You know, it's like, uh-huh. but starting with the very basics, you know, the things that are the ones that people understandably freak out about, you know, um, physically and psychologically.
0: Uh Well, yeah. And also just like knowing how little we know, because all Mm -hmm. those identity statements based on the idea are based on the idea that you totally know yourself. I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this. Where it's like, no, this is the, you know, Freudian lesson really is like, no, you actually don't know why you're saying what you're saying. You Mm -hmm. don't know, Like if, if people that are listening right now, look at where your hands are right now. Did you decide to put them there? How did they get there? (laughs) the most basic thing? The thing that's closest to you, your posture and your body. You didn't choose that. What are the factors that went into that? Your unconscious, your body, the way you exercise or don't exercise the house you're in, all these kinds of things. Yeah. So all these currents sort of going together. Okay. So one last, one last question. And then, um, and then we'll put this episode to bed, but you know, you and I are both raised without religion really mm-hmm. in our lives. And yet we've all taken like super keen interests in it as sure. a subject. How do you think that that arose in your life? I mean, other than like I would say, well, there's the obvious part of like we weren't violated by religion when sure. we were kids. So we got to be interested in it on our own, but how did that begin to unfold in your, in your life?
1: I think it interests me to see how much, you know, so many people, Their life choices, their worldview, their everything is influenced by this. Uh So I was interested in hey, is there something valuable there? Yes, no. And regardless of what the answer is, why are people doing it? In which way it affects them? You know, basically, Mm -hmm. the impact that it has on the world, the impact that it has on life. Let's look at it, you know, both what kind of impact it is and why it is. Yeah, and so to me it's fascinating because it's like it's so. This is one of the things that's so central to how people live their day-to-day life, who they think they are, how they build their sense of identity, how they relate to other human beings, how they relate to the world, how they relate to their own bodies, how they relate to anything, right? And so it's like, well, let, let's go break it down because, as you say, for most people, it's not a choice. It is day one, you are these, we believe that, and you just run hmm. with the program. Hmm. And so I'm interested in, okay, are there some answers that are, I don't want to say better, but are healthier than others that seem to lead to less people chopping each other's head off or feeling monstrous or guilty or stuff like that. Are there, let's look at it because, you know, the quality of the answers change, the impact that it has on people's life changes. Mm. Let's look at the ones that seem to be a bit healthier and look at the ones that seem not to be and why people choose either one.
0: Yeah. So in some ways it's like the original identity question, you know, for you, right? Like that you would come into consciousness about that. I mean, I suppose a lot of people would probably, I don't know. uh, We'll just, I'm just going to say this, but like, uh, I don't want a million comments about this on Twitter or my feed, which is that maybe even before Rachel. Identity you would experience religious identity mm-hmm. because you get into practices. Like I know, I, it, it's very it's obviously it's different for me because like, well, my father's from Syria, my mom's white, but where I grew up, my dad was like one of the darkest people sure. like in in the town, and he does have very dark skin. But I didn't come to consciousness about my extreme difference from all the like other kids in the school. Um, but had I been raised religiously, I would have definitely been involved in those rituals and all yeah. those kinds of things before the other kids around me sort of, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like an original identity yeah, proposition for, sure. for me. For, yeah. for. So, But th- what I was asking, too, was like, how did that come alive in you that you became interested? Like, when did that happen? Or like, when did you notice, like, huh, this is something that. I really want to investigate.
1: I think both the good and the bad, right? On the bad, you see all the crap that religion has created, and so yeah. you're like, whoa, I mean as a teenager, I guess, or something, a teenager. Yeah, where you're like, whoa, why do people act this way? Why do they really? <laughs> and at the same time, then you find some cool things, some great ideas that you run into, and it's like, oh, that's a cool one. Uh, in which way, let me figure out how this can be applied to life in a way that, uh, that make us happy, that yeah. make, uh, Okay, this is intriguing, this I can run with, Oh, this is scary and weird, It's and trying to separate. Because it's like anything, right? Religion is one of the things that try to make sense of the world around us, that mm. try to... So I'm like, okay, let's go play. Let's see what the answers out there are, and what's uh, what salvageable that I can actually help my life, and what's scary crap that I need to keep at bay, and I need to understand why other people would choose that. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm
0: asking too, because like, even I was, you know, my mom took me to a few churches here and there. Do you like this? Do you like this? Right. You know? Um, and, and she was raised by fundamentalists, so she didn't really want to yeah. have to go to church herself. And my father's from a village in the mountains is Syria, So it's like the religion that they have there is rather irreproducible sure. in the U S. So, um, he's Christian, but mixed with nomadic beliefs. But I, I just remember being really interested anyway, when yeah. I was a kid, like, yeah. Oh, what, what, like there were, you know, metaphysical, ontological, existential, mystical questions that somehow just came alive in me, even sure. though that wasn't there, like at a very young age. And I, I yeah. guess I was trying to, I was sort of fishing uh, to see if that was true for you, you know, I think
1: is, uh, yeah, you're trying to figure out, I think as a kid, you know, you're trying to figure out the world around you. Uh-huh. And clearly religion is one of the tools that most people in the world have used uh-huh. to come to terms with the world around them. So it's like, well, it seems to be almost a no-brainer that is like, well, let's look at it. Uh-huh. It's definitely interesting, regardless of what you feel about it. is It's a big deal. If it's a big deal, it's kind of like... I'm just going to ignore clothing or something. Right. It's kind of an important part. you know, uh-huh. it's, So it's like you need to... Hmm. It's like one of those foundational building blocks of the way humans have organized life.
0: Yeah. Well, um, we could go on and on about religion, but I'll just have you back on the show at some point. We can Let's do, do that, that more, and we can talk more about your, your book about religion. Um, and uh, anything else you want to add? I mean, obviously... People know your excellent podcast and um, and your work, so um, no.
1: We're all good.
0: <laughs> We're all good. Okay, everybody, thank you so much uh, for watching and listening. Bye. Okay, let's do like, just sit still so for much. like a... Uh, Do you want to fix your Bernie Sanders hair? (laughs) Fixed.